0: when God's people really engage in worship, and uh, and, and uh, let them know what's in your heart for Him, and something tells me that just happened. Um, just before I start, I want to, is Joyce here today, in the room still? Sure she is. I want to let you know that over this the course of the summer, when all those extensive renovations were done, to really enhance and allow us to develop ministry uh, downtown in the river of life building joyce has given untold hours and sometimes untold grief also wait a minute whoa 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 whoa! i'll tell you when to clap okay (laughs) i'm not done i'm not done untold hours and untold amounts of grief at times to accomplish what has been accomplished here. that building has been transformed to provide a place where people who are struggling with life can go and be loved and encounter christ and have their lives changed. And I want to tell you also, there are people whose lives have been changed. They've come to know Christ, and they're following him, and they're they're in community, and they are being blessed, probably in some instances, as I would imagine, more than they've ever been blessed in their lives before. So to you, Joyce, I want to say thank you for fantastic leadership and a heart that has just poured out in love for this uh, mission and this ministry, and obviously for those people downtown. And I think we should thank Joyce for all that she has done. (laughs) So yeah, we're expanding ministry to Saturday nights, and it is exciting. And um, you know, if you want to get involved in that, that would be wonderful. There are a ton of people who are excited about what's going on there. And about more importantly what God will do and uh, regardless please pray for that ministry and for Joyce as she leads it well we're in chapter 5 of the story Um, the story is essentially a book which is essentially the story of the Bible if you're new with us if you're visiting uh, we're going through this chapter by chapter 31 Sundays over the course of this year essentially if you don't have a story book uh, please pick one up Uh, I'm sure we have extras and if you don't If we don't have them, we'll order them for you. Read along with us chapter by chapter. Better yet, get into a life group. I'm not sure the number of life groups, something like 25 groups are meeting mostly in homes, week by week, studying the chapters as we deal with them on Sunday mornings. And I am just hearing great reports uh, of the impact that this is having in people's lives, and uh, I hope that's that's the reality for you, and that God is really at work uh, as, as as you learn His story, as you understand the grand narrative of what God is doing in this world, and, and how we can be caught up into it. That's essentially what this whole thing is about. So it's there for you. I want to start chapter five, and the focus in chapter five this morning by asking you a question, and it is simply this: How do you do with rules? with authority and rules. Now, there are some people in this world who deal pretty well with them. You know, they're sort of rule-oriented folks. I happen to be one of them. The sign says, please stay off the grass. Chris Little will not walk on the grass. I just think that makes sense. That's just the way my brain is wired. It's probably personality-oriented, but it's me. There are other people who are kind of in the middle, and I think the best way to say it is that they're kind of casual with rules. You know, the, the, they recognize that, yeah, they have some importance, but it's the, they're the means to the end, they're not the end. The end really counts. Uh, but the means, uh, I mean, you know, kind of, you know, they're, they're sort of flexible with rules, Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, some of you are married to those folks. <laughs> and that's okay, they're good, godly people, they just have a different relationship with rules. And then there are other folks on the other end of the spectrum, they just cannot handle rules. There's something wired into their being that when a rule is given to them, they will walk on the grass. You know, they'll just essentially fight and push back and resist authority and rules that are given. And it seems also to be kind of wired into who some folks are. Um, And and when it comes to faith, when it comes to religion, if you want to put it that way, because that's how they think of it, I think, but when it comes to... um, engaging God and having a relationship with God, it is this one thing probably more than anything else that pushes people in the other direction because they know God is authority and they know that God has given us some rules, regulations, guidelines, and scripture, and they think, as Randy Friese has said in this content, that that God is the ultimate killjoy, that he's given us these rules and he wants to control my life and he wants to take away my fun and I'm, as a result, going to have nothing to do with that God. As a very common dynamic, a, a very common reality. Well, in chapter 5, there's a lot going on uh, as you have studied it and as you have read it. I hope you have. Um, but part of what goes on in that, that dynamic is that God gives rules to his people. That's just the way it is. He's God. He gets to do that. The scenario was this. Chapter four with the Passover we talked about last week when the, when the angel of death came and, and the people were freed from slavery in Egypt. Three months has passed. The Israelites have moved to Mount Sinai where God is going to give them the Ten Commandments, the rules to govern their society and their lives. Um, a critical reality here, and, and it's the most critical reality in this chapter, is that God is coming down to dwell with his people. Now I want you to capture that. I think that gets lost sometimes when we think about the Ten Commandments and all that happens. But remember the Garden of Eden. God created the earth and all that's in it. And, and as the pinnacle of that creation, God created Adam and Eve, human beings. Why? So that he could come down and be with them. In the heart of God is a longing to be with us. Can I personalize it for you? He longs to have relationship with you, connection with you. He wants to love you and he, he wants you to love him. God's passionate about that, right? So Adam and Eve, you know, had that beautiful, dynamic reality, which was an incredible blessing in their lives. But then they chose to sin, and the sinful nature became part of us, and we've all inherited it as a result. It's been passed down generation to generation. We have a natural inclination to do what's wrong so easily, you know? Anybody live with that and experience it? Yeah, yeah, heads nod. Um... And the, and the dynamic is that, that, that you know, they, they moved away. They distrusted God. They, if you would, broke the rule he had given them to not eat of, of the tree and so forth. Um, but here, um, we see some signs of the plan of God that he instituted immediately at that time. because He said, I want to get those people back. I want to move back to what was. I want to come down and to be with them and to have a relationship with them and to love them and to be loved by them. So what's going on in this circumstance in this chapter, essentially, God's coming down to dwell among his people. Hold on to that dynamic. That's critical to what we're about to describe. Now, again, if you know the material, three things are needed in order for this to happen, um, for God to come down and be with his people. The first is you got to have guidelines. That's what God says if you're going to be in covenant relationship with me, if we're going to vow our, our, our faithfulness to one another and love and, and be in relationship, there just have to be these guidelines. Um, and, and this is the way God is saying, you can be faithful to me as I am faithful to you so there are two sections in the ten commandments the ten commandments kind of capture those rules two sections the first section uh the first four commandments are all about how we can love god and be good to god and honor god and worship god it's about our relationship with god second set of the uh, uh, of the ten commandments the number uh, five through ten is all about how we can be good to one another and god wants his people to be good to one another right he wants us to reflect him and his heart In his mind, and his desire, he wants it to be good between us and him and between one another. So I'm going to read these to you. And if you can follow along, if you've got your storybook, you're certainly invited to do that. Otherwise, Exodus 20, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to read the first uh, commandments as they relate to our relationship with God. Listen to this. You shall have no other gods before me. I think it's significant that God starts there. Like, it really is significant. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children uh, for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, uh, nor any foreign residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but He rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. You want to know how to be faithful to God? I just told you. I just read it from the Word of God. It's His word to you. You want to know how to be in relationship with God? start here it's foundational and critical stuff well the second part of course as i've said relates to how we treat one another honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the lord your god is giving you you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, when I talk about these Ten Commandments as it relates to our relationship with God and our relationship with one another, something that is absolutely critical to take hold of, two points uh, to tell you the truth. The first is, as I have described to you, is that they are given by God from a heart of love. They are given to you and to me because God loves us and because he knows if we follow those guidelines, we will be blessed. Now, a lot of people who hate regulations and rebel against them without thinking about it, they don't, they don't know that, they don't think about it. They're not hearing God speak into their lives in a way that he wants to be good to us. How do I know this is all about God's love? And, and about, by the way, how we can love God back? It's really, really easy. You go to Jesus, Matthew 22, 37 to 39, where Jesus says this. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus goes on in the next verse to say, all the the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. What Jesus is saying is, this is the summation of the Ten Commandments. Love God and love your neighbor love God and love your neighbor these commandments are all about love God's love for us and how we can love him back Absolutely foundational second thing. I want you to note about this before we move on I want to tell you this and I want you to hear this right up front these rules are not how one gets into the family of God A lot of people think oh if I obey the 10 commandments God's going to accept me embrace me. I'm going to be his That's nonsense God is giving his commandments to his people. This nation that he has formed, this nation that is in covenant relationship to him, these, are his, these people are his family, and he's saying to his kids, these are my rules for you. You don't get into the family by obeying these rules. Don't think that. If you're in the family, this is how we love God. This is how we honor God. This is how we worship God. And are faithful to God in our lives. So the first thing is, if I'm going to come down, there got to be guidelines, and here they are. Second thing is, oh, and by the way, um, I'm not going to read it, but Exodus 24, page 62. You know, bottom line, what God is saying, what God is saying to his people, I want you to commit yourself to this, and they commit themselves to it. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. The Israelites said, everything the Lord has said, we will do. They're 100% in the Mosaic Covenant. The covenants develop with time, Adam and, and Noah and Abraham, and now the Mosaic Covenant is a developing thing, and it'll continue to develop in terms of our commitment to God until the person of Jesus Christ in the New Covenant, in the new, the new Testament. So they're in both feet. Are you in both feet? Are you ready? Are, are you that committed, that passionate, given to that relationship with God that you have second thing that God says if I'm going to come down I need a place to stay and he defines uh, the dimensions and and, and the design of the tabernacle literally it's just a tent that the Israelites would carry with them in their wanderings it's going to be a long time before they get into the promised land but they have this, this tent is designed by God and God says I want you to set apart a portion of that tent divide it off and I will dwell there I will come down and I will be with you. Now, it's not yet what it's supposed to be. There is limited access to God in that tent. The only person who could go into that space, and it was once a year, was the high priest on the Day of Atonement. But in spite of that fact, there's real development here. Can you imagine what God's people would have felt and thought when they heard that God is going to dwell with us? would have been an amazing thing not just a god who lives in heaven he's here it's now <laughs> he's ours and we are his so that was put in place and and the ark of the covenant was put in that separate room and on the top of the lid were little cherubim little angels carved and it's it was said that god would dwell god's presence would dwell between those those cherubim he was present third thing that God said would be required for him to come down necessary would be that sin would be atoned for now this in itself is really important sin must be atoned for in the mind of God God cannot be where sin is sin cannot be where God is and and God is saying if you want me to come and dwell with you you gotta deal with sin this rebellion this this rejection of me and so forth um and so the sacrificial system was instituted I want to put away the wrong page here. There we go. You would hear one page all over again. You know, I wouldn't even know. But the sacrificial system is instituted. It's not a new reality. You know, when, when um, Noah landed on dry ground, the first thing he did was to sacrifice to God for forgiveness. You know, and... and um, uh, just uh, uh, some months before, as we talked about last week, when when uh, the Israelites wanted to be free, they had to sacrifice lambs and put their put their blood on the doorpost so they would be protected from death. Sacrificial. Action was not new. What was new is God said, I want you to institute it. I want you to, to put it in place. And the basic principle, it's not described in here. Lots of Leviticus describes that, that new religious sacrificial system. But what, what is basic and, and foundational here is that for forgiveness to happen, it requires the shedding of blood. Now, that's something God instituted. That's something God has desired, and it runs through the length of the Bible. It's just a reality. Now, it's pointing to something more than the sacrifice of animals. Ultimately, it's pointing to Christ on the cross. Now, this is all fine and good. The things, if you would, are put in place for God to come down. And this is all fabulous until Moses goes up the mountain, Mount Sinai, to actually get the Ten Commandments from God. Um, he's away for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, and in spite of the best intentions of God's people, they become unfaithful to God literally within a few weeks. You ever experienced that? God, I'm in. I love you. I will commit my life to you. I'll do anything you want me to do. And I, I want holiness in my life and I repent of sin. And it doesn't take very long till things change sometimes because we're human. And quite frankly, within a few weeks, these people break the first commandments by making an idol, a golden calf, and worshiping it. I want to read it to you. First, uh, sorry. Page 64, Exodus 32, 1 to 4, says this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, like 40 days, seemed long to them, I guess, but they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. They're used to this gods thing in Egypt, right? As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that you're... uh, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Well, when Moses comes down, it doesn't go very well. See, Moses is God's representative. He's actually a, a, a type of Christ. He's the mediator between God and God's people. And you can play that out more if you wish, if you think about it a little bit. But Moses comes down. Let me read page 65, uh, Exodus 32, 19 to 24. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them, in, uh, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and he burned it in the fire then he ground it to powder scattered it on the water and made the israelites drink it he said to aaron what did these people do to you that you led them to such great sin note the word great sin it's a big deal to moses and to god do not be angry my lord aaron answered you know how prone these people are to evil <laughs> it's all them They said to me make us gods who will go before us as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt We don't know what has happened to him. So I told them Whoever has any gold jewelry take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf (laughs) It's not me God look what happened. It's the people. It's just this miracle of a calf arising It's all nonsense. It's nonsense and what happens is it goes on, and, and, and Moses uh, demands the execution of those who are responsible, and, the, and then everybody has to drink this gold, lace, gold dust lace water. I wish I could take some time with, with that, that dynamic reality. A lot of people will look at that and say, oh, what kind of God is that? Who does that? Oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. It's not, he's, not, he, he's not the real God that we worship. It's Jesus. And they make a distinction between the two. Has anybody struggled with this execution of thousands of people this week? wow, I thought it would be a whole lot of yeah. Well, I won't talk about the next paragraph then. No, I'm going to. anyway. Here's the deal, because it's an issue. There's something powerful represented in this part of the story. <sighs> Let me put it to you this way. Um, what we're seeing here is a part of the reality of God. If this is the word of God, we can't deny that reality. And what we, what we are recognizing is that That there there are dire consequences for sin now God's love has also been displayed prior to this story and following it the love of God is all over the New Testament the mercy of God the loving kindness is the unique word which we translate from Hebrew is there it's very similar to the idea of grace But I want to tell you, my friends, as God commanded this, as God acted in this fashion, he was acting in consistency with himself because God is a God of justice. Now, a lot of people will look at this and say, well, that's not like Jesus. There's a a wrong thought in that because when you look at the life of Jesus, it was Jesus who said that there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those ultimately and eternally who would not believe in him. The New Testament says in Revelation that Jesus will sit on the great white throne of judgment and he will separate the sheep from the goats. You know, we we look back. Sometimes we miss the love of God in the Old Testament. It's abundant what God has done for these people, but he's also a judge and a God of justice. And we look to Jesus and all we see is the mamby-pamby loving one. When Jesus is no mamby-pamby loving one, he loves us profoundly and deeply, but he too believes in the reality of judgment to come. It's why he came and died on a cross, to take our judgment to himself so that we would be free of it. All right? But the core message here, yes, there are dire consequences to sin. And my goodness, we have to take that seriously as we choose to follow Christ. And as we reach out with the incredible message of forgiveness for those who will simply trust in Jesus and find that forgiveness in him. So, well, let's move forward. What we're seeing here, what we're recognizing is we're seeing the upper story play out. This God who wanted and longed to dwell with people, he has come, he's taken a huge step forward, and, the, and, and, and it's moving toward what will ultimately be. The, the Israelite people in their lower story, they've entered into covenant again, they've reaffirmed the covenant again, but they have blown it, and God has acted. But what does this mean for us in our lower story? Thousands of years later, three to four thousand years later, what relevance does it have to to our lives? Well, just let me scan this for you and then we're going to dig into one point. God has come down to us now not to dwell in a tabernacle or what would become the temple. God has come down as he always intended to come down to dwell in us, those who trust in him. Paul writes in the New Testament that we are the temple of God. You are. And if you know Christ, if you have, 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 have gone from rebellion to, to obedience, if you have gone from not believing to believing, if you invited Christ into your life and God has forgiven your sin, the spirit of God dwells in you. Do you know that reality to be true? That is a profound reality. God wanted a place to dwell, and that was the ultimate Goal that we would be the place of his presence, that the place of the worship of God would happen within us. You see, that's why when we sing the songs, I don't want you sitting there mindlessly mouthing words. I want you to be worshiping the God who dwells within you and who is present with us as we gather together as his people. We would be the place where God would dwell and our lives would become that which would be worshipful to the Lord who has taken up residence in our lives that's you your whole life is to be about worship because because God is within you secondly atonement has been made um, you know as the tabernacle foreshadowed and looked toward and anticipated God dwelling in our lives so the sacrificial system foreshadowed and anticipated the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross it was just leading people toward the ultimate reality that God would someday reveal The the sacrifice of animals didn't forgive any sin. It was only the shed blood of Jesus Mm -hmm. that was effective for the forgiveness of sin. They just painted a picture in that time as to what God would ultimately do in his upper story as it unfolded. And I want to tell you, my friends, that has happened. Hebrews 10 plays this out for you. I'd encourage you to read it later on today. But Jesus shed his blood that we might be made one with God. That's what atonement means. And I want to tell you if you have sought the forgiveness of God by faith, your sin has been atoned for. It is gone. And you have been made one with the Lord, not out of obedience to a bunch of rules and regulations, but because of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross for you. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing thing. And then the third thing, and I want us to spend some time here. What about the guidelines? What about the rules that God has given to us? Some people say, well, you know, the Old Testament, it's it's, it's gone, it's done. We're people who live by the New Testament. It's not relevant to us anymore. The Ten Commandments are obsolete. They don't count. Well, let me say this to you. Um, God still wants us to love him as he wanted the Israelites to love him. We're his people. God still wants us to love each other as he instructed then. The moral law of God is expressed in the Ten Commandments and much else that is to come doesn't change throughout the course of Scripture. It's always consistent. It's always the same. So the Ten Commandments are not obsolete. They continue to be God's commandments to us which come from a heart of love that we might know life and be blessed. They're like a gift to us, and if we will trust God in his speaking of them generation after generation after generation, and if we choose to live by them because of faith, we will find life in Christ, life that is remarkable and good. Conversely, if we choose not to believe them, we will suffer harm not only the, the natural consequences of all the sin that we engage, because God knows you step into that stuff, you're going to get burned sooner or later. It's, it's hard. It causes pain and heartache and difficulty. But also because, as, as, as Hebrews also says, God is a father who loves us, and what father doesn't discipline his children? God loves you too much to leave you alone in your sin, and if you don't deal with it, he will. And that can, that can be hard. That can be difficult. But even that comes out of a heart of love. And even though, you know, it's challenging at times to obey the commandments that God gives to us because of sin still at work in us, as Paul writes, oh, wretched man that I am, you know, I wish this thing wasn't here causing me to do what in my core being, my redeemed spirit I don't want to do. The reality is if we want to know how to love God, we just have to figure out what God is telling us to do and do it. Jesus, John 15, verses 9 to 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Oh, how do I do that, Lord? If you keep my commandments, my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. Why? Why have I told you to obey my, command, my commands? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Commands the gift of God to allow us to experience joy wow what a remarkable and a beautiful thing now central to this chapter 5 and to the 10 commandments and to our life story now the experience of the Israelites and now what does this all mean for us in our experience of God well at the at the center of this passage is the whole idea of idolatry and I want to spend a few minutes on it. I was thinking, you know, how do I say this to you in a way that, that can grab your attention? All, all I can say is that to God, idolatry is a huge deal. It's a big, hairy deal. He deeply, deeply cares when his people are unfaithful to him through idolatry. Now, how many of the commandments are about, about idolatry itself? Three of 10 I mean that says something the first is about idolatry God starts there because he knows it defines our relationship with him and he speaks into the lives of those people and he speaks into our lives today and he says do not worship another god do not do it I love you too much to let that happen I insist upon that not happening in the lives of my people You see, here's the deal. When we choose to worship other things, we are looking to something other than God to supply our deepest needs. And God knows that that idol is nothing but gold or some kind of metal or wood. It has no power to meet our needs. And we're deluded in thinking somehow that thing is going to make my life better. He says, don't go there. Come to me. I will meet your need. I will bless you. I love you. Hmm and you know the, the reality is that in spite of all that God has done for us in love through even Jesus on the cross somehow we don't get it we don't we don't capture this reality we don't trust his love for us and his words to us often in the way that we might so let me just talk about worshipping other things a little bit you know God is saying to these people I want you to love me not that I want you to trust me not that thing You know, I I want you to to give me your greatest priority in life. Not that. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to be forthright and, and bold. Is there anything in your life that you love more than God? Take a minute. Is there anything in your life that is a greater priority to you than your God and your relationship with him? Is there any priority in your life? Don't think about your head so much as the way you live. I mean, because that tells the truth of the story, doesn't it? A greater priority in your life other than the living God. I'm hoping the Spirit of God is working right now because we are prone to worshiping other idols. Sin nature is there; it carries on. You know, do you give your attention? Give your attention and. And, and you're focused to other things more than God? I was listening to Dallas Willard who's a fantastic now deceased tragically uh, um, professor I believe from USC in philosophy but he's written so many fabulous books if you haven't read them read them um, and, and he, was, he was teaching in a podcast I was listening to and, and, and as he went along he said you know if If people, and he's speaking, I think, to his context of Southern California, if people who follow Jesus gave themselves and as much time to growing in their faith and to deepening in the knowledge of Scripture and to maturing in faith as they gave to learning about how to play tennis, this world would be filled with spiritual giants. And he's making a point. People give themselves to the learning tennis an and hour after hour after hour, but they do that more with greater priority to, to tennis playing than they do in maturing in their faith in Jesus. Like, whoa, guy makes a point, huh? So what do we give our time and our attention to? What do we focus, thing, uh, focus on in our lives? Is it anything other than God? Does, does, does he come first? You know, we think a lot about our achievements and, 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 and our successes and careers and so forth. You know, it has struck me really profoundly in the last, I don't know, 10 years, maybe 15 years, when I hear young people talking about their career and about why they want to do what they do consistently, time after time after time, I hear about getting a good job so I can make a lot of money. Anybody, can you relate to that? Are you hearing the same thing? And I think about it from the perspective of scripture. I think about it from the perspective of living our lives to worship God. And I go, what does that have to do with anything? How about choosing a career and getting training so that we can bring the kingdom of God and glorify God with our lives so that the world can see the reality of the living God through me. Make a difference for this world in the way that Jesus will make a difference for the world. And whatever you get paid, so be it. He'll look after you either way. Could be a lot of money. Could be a little bit of money. Do what he wants you to do. Worship him and him alone. How about popularity? I, I've talked about this one before in, in, in relationship to uh, idolatry. But, and again, I want to give reference to young people who are in high school. But I know that there is an absolute power at work in the lives of high school students to gain acceptance from the crowd. It drives their lives. You know, there's nothing more important to them. You hear the words I just spoke? There is nothing more important to them than being accepted. <laughs> and they live for it. It's the greatest priority. You know what my God was for a lot of years? I've told you this before, but I'm going to say it differently today. You know what my God was for many years as your pastor? You. I lived to gain the approval of this congregation. I didn't sit back and think, okay, I'm going to get up this morning, I'm going to learn live so that the congregation will approve of me. But I really, 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 at a deep level, wanted you to think that I was a pretty decent guy and I was doing my job well. God began... long time ago by allowing me to read a verse that impacted me deeply. He opened the uh, the door a crack when I read Galatians 1 verse 10. It says this. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's like when I realized what was going on and I read that verse. Because what what the scripture was saying to me, what God was saying to me in that text is you have been living to gain the approval of the people whom you you pastor to and whom you lead. And if you're trying to do that, you you are not following Jesus as his servant faithfully. They have become your idol. You're worshiping them. You're giving them and their opinion priority, not me and my opinion. Oh, man, that was, that, was, that was an interesting day. <laughs> Sometimes it's work that we prioritize, we idolize. Nothing wrong with any of these things, by the way. Nothing wrong with work. But I want to tell you, when you start looking to work, and it's usually an overextension into work, when you start looking to work <clears throat> to, to satisfy your need for significance and worth, you've made it an idol. You're looking to work instead of God for those things and you make it a huge priority as a result sometimes it's a sin and sometimes God's people not willing to give up what scripture clearly says is wrong and they put that reality still before God and his will for their lives you know people living together before marriage you don't hear that said much anymore you know because the whole culture says it's okay I'm here to ask you today, as far as this is concerned and a whole lot of other things, who are you going to listen to, the culture or the word of God? More to the point, who are you going to believe will give you life? The culture, which has now become godless for the most part, or the word of God. And I'm here to tell you today, you have a God who deeply, deeply loves you, and he has communicated his will to you regarding sexuality. And if you will embrace it and act according to his plan and to his purpose, if you will live in obedience to him regarding sexuality, you will be blessed beyond measure. So I don't, know, don't care whether it's premarital sex or adultery or pornography. This is all too common in the church, right? Right? Guys, don't tell me that pornography is okay because it's natural. I I hear that and I'm tired hearing of it. You come and you say something really mean to me. You know what I want to do in the natural reality? I want to make a fist and I want to smash it into your face. Oh, it's okay because it's natural. Chris, go ahead. That's That's a ridiculous argument when you actually believe in the sinful nature and the power of sin that dwells in us. That's natural but it's not the determiner of the will of god and i could go on and on i don't know what your sins i know what my sins are i got them you got them we're human we're descendants of adam and eve right but i want to tell you do not put that sin before your worship of god let it go See, in the end of the day, the Lord comes to us and he says, this is his repetition, I suppose, but I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. And I'm telling you how to live. Yeah, I'm telling you the rules because I'm God. I get to do that, you know. What you get to do is whether you trust me, decide whether you trust me, and whether you believe in what I have spoken to you, and whether you will worship me and me alone. you turn this around a little bit, it's like God coming and saying, (laughs) you know that that work that you do, go for it, but don't use it as a means to finding satisfaction, don't use it as a means to finding purpose and, 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 and meaning in your life, use it as a means to glorify me. Because I dwell in you at the workplace, just like I dwell in you on a Sunday morning. And you can go into that place, and you can function very differently than everybody else. And I will will empower you to do it. And as you do that work, my glory will shine out of you brilliantly, and the world will see who I am. I think that's the coolest idea, the coolest concept that God has put into play. He comes along regarding our finances and our desire for, for money and all that kind of stuff, the love for money, and he says, no, 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 no. If I bless you with resources, whatever the level might be, use the resource to glorify me. Use the resource that I have entrusted to you to build my kingdom. Be generous to a fault. Give away in the world the, in a way the world would never give away. It says take hold, never let go. I want you to be like me. I want you to have my heart so that others would be blessed, so that others would come to know Jesus, so that others would be fed, so that others downtown who have no community and don't know love would discover it in me. Worship me with your resources. How about our sexual lives? <sighs> you know, I, don't, I guess I've, I've, I jumped into that early. You, you don't need to hear more about that. But you, didn't need, you do need to know that God has spoken and his word is clear. Sexuality is to exist between a man and a woman in the covenant relationship of marriage. Do you believe God and his word? Or have somehow we in this culture gone beyond it? I want to tell you, culture after culture after culture in the last 2,000 years have thought they've gone beyond it. Quite frankly, they're all wrong. God gifts you with a knowledge. Knowledge about how to exercise your sexuality. I say to you, trust him and put him first in your sexual lives and find his blessing. Worship him that way. How about acceptance? You know, the the high school students, God comes along and he says, you don't need to struggle for acceptance because I accept you. Think of the father of the prodigal son. When that son came back to him, the dad ran toward him and he threw his arms around him and kissed him and called him his son. That's God's attitude toward you if you're His. You don't need to find acceptance. You've got it. He's the one who can provide. And then what about approval? The thing that I struggled with for so long people pleasing. God similarly says, You know what? You've got my approval. I look at you, I see the righteousness of Jesus. And I'm all thumbs up. And I love you. See, God comes along and he says, I want your hearts and I want your trust and I want you to love me and I want you to give me the place that I deserve in your life. Don't give it away to anything else. Do not worship another. See, what we need to do, and time is gone, but what we need to do when we deal with rules and regulations which come from God is we have to look past the the rules and see the heart of God. And we simply have to trust him. And I'm here today to, to simply ask you this question. If indeed you know what your idol is, and if you don't, I ask you to pray about it until the Spirit of God shows you what it is. But will you grind it up and throw it away? Um, and will you live for God 100%? Will you love him more than anything else? Will you give him your time and your attention and your focus more than anything else? Will you trust him as opposed to other things? And will you live in obedience to that which God has spoken? Remember, God loves you, He has your absolute best at heart. Listen to Him. Trust him, believe him, obey him. And you will know the abundant life that Jesus promised to those who were his. Let's pray. Lord, it's an absolutely amazing thing that you, in this day and in this generation, you have come down to us, not to dwell in a tabernacle or in a temple, but to dwell in our hearts, to literally, by your Spirit, be present within our bodies and our God we just need to hear over and over and over again that we are not to worship any other idol but we are to worship you God I pray for these people here I pray a blessing on them by asking that if if they don't know what their idol is that spirit of God you'll reveal it to them and God when they know that some of them will know it right now I pray that you will give them the faith to trust you to turn away from that other idol and to turn to you, that you might provide for them what they need in a way that is life good, giving and and good, joy providing, incredibly blessed. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have spoken. Thank you for your love. Let us live as people who worship only. stand with us.